Good evening and welcome all that matters listeners. Thank you so very much for taking time out of your busy schedule. Connect with me, Dr. A, here on our weekly talk show. Now, as a gentle reminder, our IGMA Inc. brand concept for each broadcast is to interview and discuss Blink All That Matters topics with our special guests who are committed to sharing great insight, resources, answers, tips, wisdom, and or strategies to help empower individuals and organizations seeking to cope or sustain ourselves, especially during these times of uncertainty. Now, don't forget, our Blink strategic topics are business, legal matters, education, nonprofit, technology, and or healthcare. Today, I am delighted to welcome my very special guest, Miss Ernestine Appleton, whom I have determined that she is my new RN expert, subject matter expert, whom I recently met while on a caregiving duty responsibility the other day. And I was so intrigued with you, Miss Appleton. So if you don't mind, just tell us, first of all, how are you doing? You know what? I'm blessed this evening. Thank you for asking. I am so glad. And by the way, I feel like I know so much about you just in our brief conversation, but I'm sure there's so much more. Why don't you share a little bit about your rich background? You can go as far back as you want to go and bring us up to date. Y'all, I'm telling you, you're in for a treat, ladies and gentlemen. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Okay. Um, When I was 16 years old, I did what was called work study back in the day. So I went to school in the morning and in the afternoon, I went to this nursing home to take care of elders. And it was amazing to me. I had never met any older people. I had never talked to any, but they were amazing to me because they were full of knowledge and they laughed and smiled and I laughed and smiled. And it was a really good experience for me. My mom tried to teach me how to crochet for years, but I was never interested. But one of my nursing home friends taught me in an afternoon. That was in 1971, and I've been crocheting ever since. So it was just wonderful to watch those people and listen to things they had to say. In fact, I'm going to smile because I was so in tune to the elders that the ones that were confused and disoriented, caused problems for some of the caregivers. They couldn't get them to settle down. They couldn't get them quiet. And they would say, call Ernestine. She's good with elders. And you know what? I was good with them because I listened to what they had to say. It, um, there comes a time in your life when you are an elder, and I'm at that stage now, when it's important to be able to share the knowledge that you that you've gleaned throughout your life with other people. So those people in the nursing home were the beginning for me because they taught me some of the old things that people don't teach anymore. They talked about ethics. They talked about um, work and job skills. Lots of them were farmers and I was in the state of Missouri. So there were lots of uh, lots of animals and lots of talk about the things they used to do. Reminiscent therapy is what we called it. So after I graduated from high school, I didn't think that I wanted to go to college. So I had a couple of jobs and one in the morning and one at night until I decided that I wanted to take that healthcare thing further because I was actually missing my clients and being in the hospital or the nursing home. So I went to school in Manhattan, Kansas, and I became an LPN. Now, when I was a CNA, 
I said, I'm going to be an LPN and make more money and have less work to do. Wow. Was I in for a surprise? <laughs> because when I became an RN, I had less physical work to do, but then I had all the added paperwork. And the thing about that is the paper, the physical labor would be over if the patient was asleep or it was the end of your shift. But whatever paperwork that you hadn't done, you still had to finish. So that was an eye-opening experience to me. I was an LPN for many years, but in 1980, I moved to Chicago where my sister and my dad lived. And I got involved down there with, um, with a school. And I wanted to go back to school and get my RN. And so I, my mom was like, honey, are you sure you want to do that? And all my other friends that were LPNs or other medical people said, are you sure you want to become an RN? Because that's boring. It's all paperwork and you don't even get to talk to any of the clients. I thought about that and that was a hard decision for me to make. But as I went through, <clears throat> excuse me, as I went through nursing school and went to my clinicals where I actually got to meet clients, I figured that there was a way I could do both. I could do the documentation that was required, but I could also give clients and patients the kind of one-on-one -on -one communication that they needed. And so praise God, there I was. That was what I wanted to do. So I graduated in 1982, I believe, and I had my RN. I was in the city of Chicago, and it was not a city for me, guys. There was too much excitement for me. I'm a small town girl, and I was raised in Junction City, Kansas, which is an army town. So that meant that I had friends of every color and every religion, and I was really interested in learning some of their customs and why they did the things they did. I was particularly interested in religions that were not Christians. I liked to talk to people who were Hindus. I talked to people who were Jehovah Witnesses. I talked to people, gosh, from almost every religion that you could think of. And so what that did was broaden, broaden my acceptance level. There's never been a time when I couldn't work with someone because of their religion or because of their customs because I'm, I'm blessed with flexibility and I was able to change the way I thought the things I did to meet their needs. Awesome. You know, I'm, I'm just listening to you and I'm trying to follow the timeline. Ladies and gentlemen, when I met this woman, she is just so vibrant. We had to be to the doctor's office at like five in the morning. And when I tell you she walked in, for her service, like she was serving the patients. And I'm like, who is this woman with all of this energy? I just can't say thank you enough. And I probably didn't say it at the time, Miss Appleton, but you are still very vibrant. Even today, you, you speak of yourself as this person that has retired. It's hard for me to see that. So <laughs> what are you doing now? I mean, you spent how many, let's go back. You spent how many years as an RN? Let's pick back up there. 1982 to 19, wow, to 1998, when I had to retire because um, we discovered that I had rheumatoid arthritis. 
and, and it was a real severe form. It was so bad that I would hold a chart, a patient's chart in my hand, and it would just slowly slide to the floor. I drove this big blue pickup truck because I love drives in the country. So I would go down these country roads and I would stop and talk to farmers and ask them if I could fish in their pond. And I would spend time um, looking at the farm animals and just kind of chilling and relaxing. So when the time came that I couldn't drive my truck anymore, if I pushed down on the brakes, it hurt my my legs and my knees so bad that I would get where I was going and I would be crying. I would not only be crying, but I'd be exhausted. So it was time for me to retire. And I thought, wow, I'm retiring and I'm still young. Well, you know what? We're going to try it and we're going to see how things go. So I stayed in Missouri until my daughter died. She died in 1998 in October. She had been diagnosed with AIDS. Ooh, let me tell you something about that. The AIDS epidemic was really, really spitting people out at that time. That's not the medical term, but you get the gist of what I'm talking about. Yeah, there were so many people that had that disease. Um, my daughter went into the hospital to have a, a tumor removed, a fibroid tumor for, from her uterus. And she didn't have a doctor, so I referred her to my doctor. And my doctor is the one who took her into hospital and all of that. My doctor called me on the phone and said, um, Ernestine, I need you to come in right away. I said, is there a problem with the surgery? She said, no, just come in. We need to talk. So when I got to her office, her face was red and tears were running down her cheeks. And I said, is she dead? The doctor said, no, she's not dead, but she has AIDS. And I'm like, wait a minute, she has AIDS? Of course, I'd heard about it, but nothing specific, just that it was a disease that you catch from gay folks. You know, that's what everybody said back at that time. So she was diagnosed and she was upset. And of course I was upset, but some of the strangest things happened. She was in a double room, but they moved the other bed out and they left her bed in the middle of the floor. So when I came to visit her, like one o'clock the next day, her breakfast tray and her lunch tray were both sitting outside the door because the staff was afraid to take it to her. They didn't understand about the contagious. They didn't know if it was in the air or you know where it was, but they knew that they didn't want to be in contact with it. So she got really poor service. And I was blessed that I was able to talk to the head nurse and um, some of the different charge nurses on the shifts and tell them what they needed to know. You know, instead of being fearful of things you don't know and you don't understand, you do your due diligence. You know, you look up things. Gosh, I wish we would have had Google in those days. But you know, I- <laughs> before you go a step further, I am so caught up right now. I'm sitting on the edge of my chair. We have got to take a quick break, but okay. I want us to come back and pick up from where her tray was, if you don't mind. Can we take that okay. quick break? Let's do that. Awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, we will be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for taking that quick break. I know I cut us right off, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pick right back up, handing the microphone back to Miss Appleton. Miss Appleton, you must continue with that story. You have got us on the edge of our seat. Carry on. 
Okay. And so after I educated some of the staff about the things they didn't need to worry about, then I noticed some things they should have worried about because people from the lab would come in and draw blood from her and they wouldn't be wearing gloves. And I, I would say, you guys need to wear gloves. And they would say, we can't feel the veins if we wear gloves. And I said, well, the consequences of that are if you get a needle stick or if you get some of her blood in a cut or an open area, you could be in her bed. You know, I had to be really blunt about it because being nice wasn't working. And I didn't want to be, I didn't want to feel responsible and neither did she. If somebody got a needle stick or somebody, you know, got contaminated with her blood. So while you're worried about the, the tray, you know, not bringing the trays in, I am worried about your future health. So she was in the hospital for four or five days and um, her T cells were really low. She, was, she wasn't HIV positive. She was in full blown AIDS and she only had 11 T cells. It was, uh, it was very scary. And I knew that she needed to change some things in her life. But you know what? The thing they say is you, when you're raising up children, you teach them what you think they need to know and what they need to do. But when they get to be a certain age, then they do what they do. And you can't hold yourself responsible for that. Even though we love them, we're often codependent, you know, when it comes to our children, instead of letting them grow up and learn that there are consequences to their actions. Uh, so she and I talked about the disease for a long time. She had um, one little girl then. And believe it or not, before she died in 1998, she had two more children, little boys. And I remember saying to her, why are you having these babies when you know that you're HIV positive, you have AIDS? She said, mom, I believe in God and the Holy Spirit. And these children are gonna be special children just because of what they have to go through. That broke my heart, but that's what she believed and there wasn't anything that I could do about it. So after she passed away, I decided that it was, it was winter in Missouri. I don't know how much you guys know about the weather in the Midwest, but we had like 13 inches of snow. And with that rheumatoid arthritis, when it was cold like that, the pain in my feet and my fingers was unbearable. And I couldn't tie my shoes, I couldn't fasten buttons, you know, all those kinds of things. So I decided that I wanted to go to a warmer, a warmer, climate. There we go. <laughs> so Jacksonville, here I am. And when I got to Jacksonville, um, I was amazed. The bridges and the water. You have to remember, I came from the Midwest. In the Midwest, the roads are straight without turns and curves. And on the side of the road, there's wheat growing or there's corn growing. And there are no mountains. There are no hills. There are no valleys and there's no water. So for me, it was very traumatic to have to go over all the bridges in Jacksonville just to get where I needed to go. So for a whole year, I didn't drive. I was blessed that I had friends that took me wherever I needed to go. So now when I'm going over the Buckman Bridge, I'll sometimes just 
think about it and start to smile because I'm a big girl now. (laughs) (laughs) So let's see, where are we now? Well, I want, I'm just allowing you to speak because the wisdom that you're sharing, I understand the story with the AIDS and we're here where you're down in Jacksonville. Are the grandkids still alive? Are you still at that point practicing the RN skills that you've acquired or have you just taken a full retirement stage? Where are we at now? Okay. Um, The grandchildren are in Nebraska with my other daughter who was actually in college. So she adopted her niece and her nephews after their mom passed away. And I was in Jacksonville and I was not doing well. I kept thinking that I was limping. I wondered why I was limping when I walked. So I found myself a really good rheumatologist and we did a whole body, you know, kind of scan. And the reason I was limping is because I had a contracture of my left leg. Do you know what that means? No, ma'am. Okay. It means my knee was bent. You know how you can, you can straighten out your leg and you can bend it at the knee. You can straighten it out and bend it at the knee. I couldn't. Because of pain, I had kept mine in one position for so long that it was fused like that. So we knew that the time was going to come when I was going to have to have a total knee replacement. But we were concerned because I had other um, health issues that I needed to worry about and to take care of. So um, I was in a wheelchair for almost three years. In fact, I was just really blessed because vocational rehab did an evaluation for me of the skills I had, the things I needed to learn, and then physical things as well. So we got a grant and we were able to build um, like a lift on the side of my house. And my electric wheelchair would go on the lift and I would go down, up and down, wherever I needed to go, um, in and out of the, the house. So that was a really hard time for me. But um, after two years in the chair, I decided to have a gastric bypass surgery. I think everybody knows what that is these days, but it was miraculous for me because at the same time, right after that surgery, I got a knee replacement. My grandchildren and their mom were now living here in Jacksonville. And I remember one time I was in the front yard sitting in that electric wheelchair and I told one of my grandchildren to do something. And they did that nanny, nanny, boo-boo. Do you know what that is? No, ma'am. Okay. It's like they, you stick out your tongue and put your thumbs in your ears, wiggle your fingers and say, nanny, nanny, boo-boo. Gotcha. That, that means make me, you know, make me. So... I stood up. He he looked at me and fell out in the driveway. He had never seen me stand up. He had never seen me walk. And he had never seen me out of that wheelchair. And it scared him to death. But guess what? The next time I asked him to do something, he did it quickly. (laughs) I can't imagine why they wouldn't. But let me just ask you this. With all of the health training that you've had, how has that helped you in your recovery? Oh, you know what? <laughs> You're making me laugh now. I am, I'm a caregiver. So if anybody needs any care, 
I'm right there, Johnny on the spot. I can do whatever they need to have done. Oh, I didn't tell you about my brain tumor. Can we oh go back God. for a moment? We can. Okay. In 2016, I woke up screaming with a headache that was so bad that I couldn't tolerate it. And my roommate said, I'm going to call the ambulance. And I said, no, no, I'm not going to any hospital. It's a migraine and I know what to do about it. So I turned off the lights and put an ice pack on my head and, you know, all the things you do when you have a migraine, but it was getting worse and worse. And I could hear myself screaming. Uh, and I turned around after maybe an hour and there was somebody standing in the door and it was my daughter. And she, she didn't care what I said. She was calling the ambulance and she did. So when they did uh, the CAT scan and the MRIs of my head and they put it up on the bulletin board, I said, wow, I have a tumor in the right parietal area. And the doctor's mouth just flew open. <laughs> he said, how did you know that? I said, that's my area of expertise, neurology, dementia, and all the diseases that go along with it. And so this brain tumor was a, a gift and also a weight around my neck. And I'll explain to you why. We didn't talk about what I did in Missouri, but in Missouri, what I did was start one of the first locked unit for Alzheimer's patients because there was a huge, a huge outbreak of angry people, old angry elders, because people who have dementia um, would wander in and out of their rooms, pick up things that didn't belong to them, take them in other rooms and lose them or get in the wrong bed thinking it was their bed and then get upset if somebody asked them to move, you know, all those kinds of things. So we needed a place to keep them safe, but we also needed to, to respect the privacy of the people, you know, who were in the main building. So we started this unit, we started with 13 beds and it was, um, we call it the special care unit because everybody who was in that unit needed some kind of special cares. And I met all kinds of people through all walks of life. And I dealt with families that were simply amazing. We I want to stop right there. I apologize. I, okay. I am so intrigued by your wisdom that's coming forth. So we're going to take our second quick break and we'll come back and let people know how all of this has helped you empower you to where you are today. So if yeah. you will, ladies and gentlemen, take that quick break and we will be right back. Just okay, ladies and gentlemen, I know I cut us off, but you know, I have got to keep my position here, but I do want to go back, Miss Appleton, because I'm hoping what you're sharing is helping someone. Someone is probably feeling like there's no place for me anymore. And I'm telling you guys, she is still thriving, even at her season age. And that's why I wanted her to come back. So let's go back to when you actually, I wanted to jump in, but I didn't want to stop you on a roll. How about when you actually got diagnosed and what happened after that? Can you pick up from there briefly and tell us what happened? I definitely can. So when we did the, the surgery, they took out the tumor and it was not cancerous. But the challenge is if you open up your brain and you cut away a tumor, you're also going to cut away some good tissue along with the tumor. So the way your brain communicates with your body is through paths. Just like in the olden days, you could pull out a map and you could see all the streets and the highways. That's how the inside of our brain looks and that's how it operates. But when you cut a chunk out, 
then they become, they begin to have problems. So I'm going to tell you about some of the problems that it cost me. Number one is my short-term memory is not good. Some of the behaviors that I have are the same ones that people with ADHD have. I can do many projects at one time. I might start six projects today, but at seven o'clock in the evening, how many of those projects are going to be done? Probably not a single one of them. And it made me feel bad about myself because things I used to be able to do, I couldn't do anymore. And there were people who would call me and say, Ernestine, could you this, could you that, you know, whatever I used to do for them in the past, and I'm not able to do that anymore. And people just did not understand. So when I tell you that tumor was a blessing, I'll tell you why. I was very depressed after that surgery. Um, after that surgery is when I stopped my in-home support business. Um, I couldn't deal with clients right then because I needed to take care of Ernestine. So we were working on that and I was doing physical therapy and I was doing um, occupational therapy. I was doing um, some counseling for mental health, you know, and I hope that we have time to talk about mental health in a little bit too, but I know that my story is long. So how about just picking up with the, since you want to talk about mental health, let's just take a brief moment to show how that has impacted you as well, because not only that, not to mention we've got the pandemic. So chime in a little bit about that. Okay. So the mental health situation for me was more than one, more than one problem. So we talked about the, a, the, H, the ADHD, you know, that's adult hyperactivity. When people think about that, they think it only happens to children and they outgrow it. And that's not the case. Almost everyone who has a brain injury has the same symptoms as a person with ADHD. So if you're a person who's always accomplished a lot and you work really hard all day, but in the evening you look and you see that nothing is completed, what do you think that does to your self-esteem? You know, I am not who I used to be. So who the heck am I? That was very difficult for me. But the frustration was one of my biggest challenges. I remember sometimes I'm talking and I'll lose a word. That means I can't find the word that I'm looking for in my brain. So I was talking to one of my grandsons. He was 10 or 11. And I said, I need a word. He said, a word from the dictionary? I said, no, a word that stuck in my head. And he looked at me like, okay. So I said, I'm going to give you some hints and you help me figure out what it was. So I said, it's about as tall as your knees to the floor. It's round and it's red. And he guessed a lot of things, but he didn't guess what I was looking for. After about 15 minutes, he said it. It's a fire hydrant. And he was exact because one of the things I could remember was dogs pee on it. But I didn't want to tell him that. (laughs) And the thing about the fire hydrant is where I come from, they're red. But in Florida, what color are they? Yellow. Yellow. Right. That's right. And that's why he couldn't think of what I was talking about. So that was amazing. So word finding difficulties is one of the things that frustrates people with brain injuries. If you have Alzheimer's or dementia, you do have a brain injury. It's just more widespread than the challenges that I have. 
What that brain tumor did for me was help me understand why the patients were so frustrated, why they were moody, why they were depressed, why they were angry, why they sometimes struck out because I had all those feelings. And thank God I didn't have them all at one time, but I went from one end of the spectrum to the other end. And it was really difficult. But you're so vibrant today. So bring us even closer to what, how has the pandemic helped or hurt you? I mean, are you moving? I know I moved us from one space to That's another. Okay. Just for the sake of time, I just know that somebody's listening going, she's talking about me. So, okay. Hope today. So the pan the pandemic has had a huge effect on me and most elders. For one thing, I'm a very social person. It used to be my goal every day was to make four strangers smile because I realized that what you say to people affects the quality of their life. Maybe that compliment you give them, I love your blouse. It's going to be the nicest thing that anybody says to them all day. So you got to spread that kind of love and that kind of consideration. And then the pandemic comes and I'm on isolation for, gosh, for almost a month in 2020. That was so difficult for me. My family and friends would call me on the phone, but they had busy lives. So while I was laying around the house being sick, there really was not a lot of interaction with other people. Then when I got better from the COVID, it did something else to me. I lost my sense of taste and everything was salty or it tasted like cardboard. So because of my, my memory problem, I was forgetting to eat. And the doctor was like, you know, when you're heavy or when you're fat, the doctors always tell you to lose weight, lose weight. And then I started losing weight and he's like, oh my, I'm worried. I'm like, why are you worried? You told me I needed to lose weight. He said, I want you to lose fat, but I can look at you and I can tell you what you're losing is muscle mass and you don't want to do that. You need your muscles to be as full and as strong as they can be to keep you going and keep you moving. So I'm blessed that I have friends that will call me and say, what did you eat today? So when they say that, when they say that it triggers me to think, oh, it's four o'clock and I haven't eaten today. So when you're by yourself, and that's where I am right now, things happen, but they're, I'm still social, but not as social as I want to be. So even though the pandemic is better, people that have pre-existing health conditions like me still have to be very careful. Sometimes I walk into a place and I'm the only person wearing a mask. And I think that's okay. I, have, I know that I have asthma and COPD. So if I were to get another dose of that virus, it's possible that I wouldn't come through this one. So I got to be extra careful. And I think the same thing is true with a lot of elders. I don't know, you're too young to know, but there are senior centers all over Jacksonville where people go to socialize with other people that are in their age group and they play bingo and they do arts and crafts and they sing songs and some of them play instruments. And those are wonderful things. And a lot of people are involved in them. But when the pandemic came, a lot of those centers had to close down for the protection of the staff and also for the clients. 
So people who were used to going there three or four days a week, all of a sudden they're at home and they're at home with nothing to do. I remember my doctor telling me, uh, Ernestine, it's time for you to slow down. And all my kids tell me to just chill. So I was sitting with my 17 year old grandson and he was over to visit. We were watching TV and I was crocheting and petting the cat. He said, Mima, I said, yeah, I thought you were going to chill. I said, I, I am chilling. He said, no, you're not. You're crocheting. You're playing with the cat. You're, you know, he's telling me all the things that I was doing. So I said, okay, what do you do when you chill? He said, I just sit in a chair and I don't move. I'm, <laughs> I am unable to do that. I think I'm with you. I'm, I'm not as able to do that either. Yes, I, am, I am not able to chill. So what I do, I talk about self-care a lot to myself and to my friends and to my family. Because we talk about my medical history, right? The fact that I was a caregiver. So when I took my clients to their doctor's appointments, I remembered everything the doctor said, what medical uh, diagnosis they had, what kind of a diet they needed to be on, what their vital signs were, all those things, right? But when I went to the doctor after my brain tumor was remembered, was removed, I had to take somebody with me because I would not remember what the doctor said about me. You know, you're not alone. And, and as I say that, yes, I'm so grateful that you're sharing all of these words of wisdom because somebody's listening and I know we've got to get ready to wrap up, but we're got, we've got to take our final break. And when okay. we come back, any strategies, tips, ideas, thoughts, I'll remind you what we want to talk about just in case somebody's just chiming in with this. We're going to take this final break and we're going to come right back. Is that okay with you? Yeah. Awesome. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sure you're wondering, why is Dr. A allowing Miss Appleton to just go on? Well, let me tell you why. When I met her, I knew that she was full of knowledge. And granted, you can read about an RN and what they had and have to do today. And I'm sure there's some varying differences. And maybe you'll agree with me, Miss Appleton. But at the same token, people are living longer. We have a fiduciary responsibility to listen, especially to our elders. We can't just put them out to pasture. A lot of wisdom is coming through this interview today. And Ms. Appleton, I just want you to take this last segment and speak to the people. What is it that you want them to know about a registered nurse who's gone through, served others, and now it seems like you could use a hand up or a listening ear. So why don't you just take the mic back and tell us what can we do for you? You know, that's something very interesting. I have people who come to me and say, listen, if you need any help, let us know. Do you think I do that? No, 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 I don't. And the reason, the reason that I don't do that is, is I'm a caregiver, but taking care is very difficult for me. So what I'm working on right now is self-care, doing things that are good for Ernestine. There are things I haven't done my whole life just because I didn't have time and I was busy. So in this last season of my life, I want to spend my time with peace. The peace is the most important thing to me. 
but you can be social and still have your peace. A lot of people that are my age are becoming very paranoid about leaving their houses because of the pandemic. Um, younger people recover much quicker than ones who are elders. And the people who die are usually people that have pre-existing conditions. The longer we live, the more conditions we're going to develop. So we have to be careful. So what I say to my friends is, you know what, we can still hang out. We're probably not going to go to the club or the bingo hall, but you know, <laughs> we can have friends over for dinner. We can watch a special movie on TV. We can still get together in small crowds. And because we know that we've all been vaccinated, so thank goodness for the vaccines, and we take all necessary precautions. So if we are in a room together and there are three of us, I am not as concerned as I am when I'm at Walmart and there's hundreds of people walking around. So it gives us a chance to be social and to be ourselves. And those of you who have elders in your family, please encourage them to be social. And if you are, if you are able, spend some time with them watching a, a special movie or playing a game of checkers or watching them as they do something like crochet or getting them started with something like an audio book. You know, we're still teachable. Audio books are one of my best friends. Now, when I want to study material, I have to have a book in my hand so I can highlight it and all that stuff. But for entertainment, I love a good audio book. That's great to know because I've often wondered, as my family members get a little older, what do you buy a person who has everything? So you've yeah. definitely given me some insight. Well, let me ask you this based on, and I appreciate and applaud you for sharing things that we can do, but do you have any thoughts about when you were an RN versus RNs today? Any advice to those oh, individuals? There is, there is, <laughs> we don't have all day, but some yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there is a there is a very big difference between the nursing that I did and the nursing that they do now. Um, RNs do more procedures, you know, hang IVs and uh, measure wounds and that kind of thing. And they have so much of that to do, along with the paperwork, which is involved on their computers and their iPads and things like that, that they don't have a lot of time for the individual care that I talk about. But thank goodness there's other staff that are there that can meet those needs of the clients when the RN cannot. But I know how it feels to go home and think you've not done the best you can for your client. Right now with the staffing shortages, it's making it very difficult for people in the medical field to function and continue to feel good about themselves because the care that they are giving is not the best care they ever gave. And not because their hearts are not in it, but just because of time. God only gives us 24 hours in a day. And so the hours that you spend with your client, if they can't be personal and interactive, okay, that's, that's a possibility. Find somebody who can, who can interact with them. And I encourage people who are interested in volunteering, go to, go to a nursing home and visit some of the residents there. I work with a group of people that are developmentally delayed. 
So every holiday, we make 100 cards, like it was Easter cards last week. And we take them to nursing homes and we drop them off and we say, here, give this to your residents and let them know that someone is thinking about them. If you can imagine being 90 years old in a nursing home, you're a lady and your husband is dead and your children are dead and you're in the nursing home. And so the staff has to become your family. I think you can. We can close like that. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking about when my kids were younger, I used to take them to the nursing home and never look down the road to hear your voice utter the words that you've just uttered. I just appreciate your transparency. You probably feel like she just let me talk. (laughs) This is equally as therapeutic for you as it is for me. Is that a safe assumption? Have you enjoyed time together? Oh, most definitely. What have you enjoyed together? Well, what have you enjoyed most about our time together? I think what I enjoyed the most is the fact that there are people out there that need someone to speak up for them, that they may not have told their family how lonely they are or how lost they feel. And depression is skyrocketing in all communities, but particularly in the elderly communities. We just have no one to reach out to. And that makes it difficult. Well, you've got me challenged now to make sure when I first moved back to Florida, my mom, she was a little bit more vibrant. But something you said to me when I met you, I was sitting across from you thinking, what do I say to this lady? Is she ill? Obviously, she's not. I was talking about you because you just seem so vibrant. And I remembered you said something to the nature of, wow. This was refreshing. I didn't have to change my vocabulary. (laughs) Wow. Is that to say that I'm a slow person? I mean, (laughs) what was meant by that? (laughs) What that means is sometimes when you're speaking to the community and able to, in order to be understood, you got to change the words you use. I appreciate you for lending me your ear. I tried to listen more, but something that I don't think we talked about, you speak a couple languages, you speak Spanish too, right? Yes, I'm bilingual. Awesome. Awesome. Well, just say something to our audience before we get ready to turn off the lights that in Spanish, the only Spanish um, phrase that I know is que Dios te bendiga. And then you have an accent on that. Right, right. So for those of you that I just said, may God bless you. But uh, I learned a little bit of conversation. But is there something you want to say to perhaps someone listening in Spanish just before we close the lights tonight? Buenas noches, mi amigos. Now you got to translate that. Hello, my friends. Good night and go with God. Well, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> the clock on the wall says it's time for me to bring this rich conversation, which I've done mostly listening with our special guest, Miss Ernestine Appleton, to a close. But you have the ability to listen in again. If it's something that you feel you can allow maybe one of your loved ones to listen to, you can always go over to our website at www.igmainc.org and click on podcast. You'll be able to hear this very same episode and hopefully you too will feel inspired and wonder and no longer wonder, why did Dr. A allow Miss Appleton to go on? Because <laughs> I wanted to give you, Miss Appleton, something that you said we should give everybody else. Yeah. The mic has been hot and it's been yours. And I just want to thank everybody for staying with us throughout the breaks. You might not realize this is what we need to do to keep our 
elderly, our seasoned wisdom individuals connected. Would you agree with that, Ms. Appleton? Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. Well, on that note, I sincerely hope all of our listeners, each of you will continue to encourage others to connect with us every Saturday at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for more informative episodes of All That Matters Talk Show. And meanwhile, I'd like to encourage everyone to please take a moment to listen in to some of the other radio broadcast hosts, because at the end of the day, we are bringing you information that we believe is relevant. We encourage you at IGMA to feel free to email us the topics that matter to you that are relevant to business, legal matters, education, nonprofit, technology, and our healthcare. Or you can simply call us at 770-422-4048. As I stated before, please remember that each time you connect with us. So until next Saturday at 5 o'clock p.m., stay healthy and safe. And remember, what we value at IGMA Inc. is all that matters to you. Good night.